Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in His love and truth. Now, let's join Pastor Bob as we study God's Word together. I want you to hear this passage from Romans chapter 6 in light of all that we're faced with certainly tonight on the 4th of July. Look at verse 15. So since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. All your lives you've let sin tell you what to do, but thank God you've started listening to a new master one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you? How at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different is it now as you live in God's freedom, your lives healed and expansive in holiness? As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? You call that a free life? What'd you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Where did it get you? Come on, church, say it with me. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found that you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you. What a surprise. A whole, come on, healed, come on. Put together life right now with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. Come on, church. Someone say amen to that. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for these elements of communion that remind us just how great your love is for us. And as we just enjoy the beauty of this evening, the quietness even of this back field, and parking lot, we sense your presence here. And we thank you, Lord, that nothing can drown out our singing and praise to you. 
and that your word, Lord, never returns void. And so may we give you this evening our hearts fresh and new. May we entrust and commit to letting the old life of sin pass away. May we reckon the old self dead and come truly alive and free in the matchless love and glorious grace that is found in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name we proclaim as the author and finisher of our faith, the giver of our freedom. We rejoice and celebrate this evening in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. I, 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 love, I love that passage. And uh, in this series here that we're in, uh, Victory in the Valley, I just find that to be a powerful passage of pointing us to where the victory is found. Whatever, whatever you're faced with tonight, in your business, in your marriage, in your family, in the raising of your kids, in the, in the, in the helping and assisting as I find myself now in, in the raising of my kids' kids, If God is for us, who could be against us, church? We have the victory tonight to celebrate, even in the valley. We have the victory in Jesus' name. Amen to that, church? Amen tonight? Well, I know censorship, censorship seems to definitely be on the rise. So while I have the mic, let me see if I've got this straight. They've actually said no gatherings. No gatherings, unless you happen to be rioting. Am I getting that straight? No gatherings unless you're looting. No gatherings unless you're rioting. No gatherings unless you're burning down a police precinct. In fact, you could Google this if you want. Our local health officer for the county of San Diego, her name is Dr. Wooten. I hope she's here tonight. I hope she's listening. But maybe she could help us understand us. She said recently publicly that you're to have nobody over to your house, not just for the 4th of July, which they've made very abundantly clear for us not to be throwing any 4th of July parties and all, but she actually, the health officer for our county, took it further and said, you're to have nobody over to your house until next year. What happened to the land of the free? What happened to the home of the brave? When did we sign that over? Did we sign this over? I mean, the, the freedom really that we celebrate tonight together as a nation, this freedom that came upon us in 1776 was actually a freedom from the tyranny of being controlled by the throne. Told actually yesterday as churches would gather, told actually yesterday not to sing. Not to sing. Don't you begin to, so here's what they've said to us, even in the six weeks that we've been meeting outside. They've said, don't encourage singing. Don't hand out Bibles. Literally, I'm telling you the truth. Don't hand out Bibles. And be careful with the fellowship and interaction with one another. Keep your social distancing. You begin to wonder if we're being played. 
And I wonder if we're going to roll over because even on this issue of wearing the masks, and I'm not opposed, if it helps to sort of curve this thing from spiking and get it under control, I'm fine with it. But the moment that we continue as a nation giving more and more of the control over to the government, I'm just telling you what it says in the scriptures. It's going to quickly move from being forced to wear masks to being forced to wear a mark. And we got to be careful as to whether or not we're buying into the whole thing hook, line, and sinker, because it'll be a mark on the back of the right hand that they're forcing on society in order for you to go to the grocery store. And I'm all, listen, I'm all for submitting to authority. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be some type of a hotshot rebel on the 4th of July. I believe what the Bible says in Romans that we're to submit to authority, that we're to pray for those who are ruling. And actually, when Paul says that, the rulers were not Christians but actually demonic. So I get what he is saying there, but ultimately later he would actually continue his thought as he writes in Galatians chapter 1 and say this, are we to serve man or are we here to serve God? Because you can't have two masters. And so I want to declare to you in light of all that's coming down, and I know it's changing daily, I already have a governor I have a governor that controls me and helps me and comforts me and leads me and guides me. My governor is the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And the great thing is our governor together isn't up for re-election. He's on the throne. He's in control. And, and, and our word matters. Our honor on the fourth and our, our loyalty and our, our, our commitment. You guys, we need to remain a people who are governed by God. And if we're governed by God, it means we're governed by love. Because the greatest commandment is to love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second commandment, come on church, like the first, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is what it means for us to be governed by God. It is being governed by love. A love that looks very different than the love fest in Seattle. The anarchy. The mockery. The mockery, actually, of what our government's main objective is. To defend and protect the citizens of our great fine nation. One nation under God is what we have to get back to. But we're not going to get back to it by defunding the police. I'm sorry, you guys, that's the dumbest idea ever. We have to be careful about this whole thing because actually that plan would fast forward us into a valley, a valley that we'll probably get to in this series, but a valley that you don't want to be in called the Valley of Armageddon, and it'll be too late for anyone that finds themselves in that valley. Jesus Christ himself, with his saints returning with him, gloriously will come and provide victory in that valley, the Valley of Armageddon. But you want to be on the winning side of that. You want to make sure whose team you're on in that. You want to be returning with him instead of somehow having missed the trumpet sound 
and watching as he returns, for there will be no victory there except for the ones who have proclaimed him to be their Lord and Savior. Listen, freedom from law and order is no freedom at all. And that's exactly the point that Paul is making in Romans chapter 6. Freedom apart from the law, freedom apart from order, freedom apart from a master, we're all going to serve someone. And if we really, really believe that all men are created equal, if we really, truly have a heart of equality and equity and, 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 and are here saying there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no male, there is no female, there is no black, there is no white, there is no brown. All are one in Christ Jesus. If we believe in black lives, which we should because Jesus does, he died for them, gave his life for each and every, if we really believe in black lives, we wouldn't defund the police, we would defund Planned Parenthood. Because that across the board statistically, we gotta repent as a nation from the destruction of millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of precious lives at taxpayer dollars, come on. I hope I'm standing up here simply saying what you all are thinking. It's time to get back to the realization that freedom isn't free. And there's no greater picture of that than the cross. The cross where Jesus Christ died in our place and took upon himself the wrath and penalty and judgment of our sins so that we truly might be set free by his grace and mercy and love. Freedom isn't free. And necessary for us to realize that repentance is required in order for that freedom to fully be realized. The message of John the Baptist that Dennis just sang about was a message of repentance. The message of Jesus as he began his earthly ministry was to echo the very message of John as he paved the way for the Messiah and declares to the world the answer is in repentance. Repentance is required. It's not optional. And repentance isn't, oh God, I'm sorry. It's changing how we're living. It's changing how we're thinking. It's changing how we're treating people. Repentance is required. Forgiveness Here's the great news, is instant. The moment we repent, the moment we come to Christ is the moment our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Repentance is required, forgiveness is instantaneous, but freedom, gotta be clear tonight, freedom is a promised process. A promised process. Repentance Note takers, Bible students, a requirement placed upon us. If you confess your sins, it's conditional. You need to repent. You need to turn from the sinful life that, that Paul is describing in Romans chapter 6, right? 
that requirement then brings you on a path that leads to everlasting life, that leads to salvation, that leads to forgiveness. And the forgiveness is instantaneous, hallelujah. But the freedom that we proclaim this evening is a promised process. It's more spiritual than it is political. I know you got to sort of like chew on that one for a second and let it soak in because it tripped up a lot of his early listeners because they wanted the freedom to be political. And I have great friends throughout the years, even some in this church today, that are involved in politics, that are running for office. God bless them, but they run for office for people, knowing that the freedom is spiritual more than political. And if you had to choose between the two, listen, a spiritual freedom, ladies and gentlemen, is far better and outlasts any political freedom that has term limits. A spiritual freedom whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Secondly, it's not only spiritual, it's personal. It's not bureaucratic. He never saw a bureaucratic crowd. In fact, he was always somewhat reluctant for there to be a crowd because his freedom is personal. You're not free because grandma believed. You're not free, kids, because your mom and dad believe. We each personally need to come to a place of repentance and trust in order for the freedom to take root in our heart. I've been to several presidential prayer breakfasts back in Washington, D.C. over the years, and my favorite still to this day, after the dozen or so that I've attended, is the one that Mother Teresa was at because she talked personally. She talked about our families. She talked about the American families, and she said this, and I quote, Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. It's personal. It starts there, and that's the move that we need to make, and and that's the culture that we need to cultivate Because at least that under our roof is in our control. The rest of it you might feel overwhelmed by, but God is for us. God is with us. And the spiritual change brings a rippling effect as person after person, one soul at a time, comes to Christ. The greatest thing, Pastor Steve and I were talking this week in response to one email that I got. (laughs) The greatest thing we can be doing in our county right now is reaching out to our neighbor with the love of Jesus Christ personally sharing our story of liberty, personally sharing our story of freedom. Thirdly, it's spiritual and it's personal and it's liberating. It's powerful. It unsticks us from the mess and the mud and the gunk and the mire and the pit that David talks about in Psalm 40. People being rescued out of a broken system. Think about it with me. Throughout the ages, throughout the pages of Scripture, it's, it's, it's people, it's families, it's marriages, it's individuals that were rescued out of broken systems versus the system itself being transformed. Egypt was never transformed. People were delivered 
out of the bondage of the broken system of Egypt. For 400 years, they served as slaves, even as Paul would refer to here in Romans chapter 6. And it isn't Egypt that was transformed. It was people within a broken system that were reached out to because God, when he meets with Moses at the burning bush, says, I heard the cries of the people. But as soon as life started looking a little bit better, as soon as the economy started to improve, they forgot about their need for God. And once again, they entered into a time and period of bondage in Babylon. But it wasn't Babylon that was transformed. It was people crying out to God in the midst of a system that was broken. They spent another seven decades in slavery there in Babylon. You know, it's even found in the Sermon on the Mount that as Jesus would stand up, there were some who were wanting his kingdom and freedom to be political, but he put the emphasis on personal. He put the emphasis on spiritual. He put the emphasis on radical, on on a liberating change from the inside out that the purpose of his coming wasn't to redeem Rome, it wasn't to redeem society, it was to redeem us. And the system that suffers will suffer the wrath to come. And anyone identifying themselves even this evening still with that system is choosing that system over the Savior. A Savior who has come to say, let me set you free. Let me offer to you the water that will cause for you to never thirst again. Drink from the well of freedom Drink from his water. Be filled with his spirit. Be set free even from that old life of sin and death that Paul writes about. Can I go a little deeper with you tonight? Turn to Genesis with me. Genesis that I mentioned to you earlier. I want you just to see a fascinating passage in chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 is where God shows up and ultimately here now gives to Abraham once again the promises that Abraham can count on, that he can be assured of, that he can rest realizing that, wow, God means it. He's for me. And in Genesis Genesis chapter 15, is a powerful declaration and display of that covenant that God makes with Abraham. But I want you to see that it's a process. Forgiveness, again, don't misunderstand, it's instant. And I think even here, Abraham, who wasn't necessarily so much a religious guy or came from a religious family, puts his faith and his trust in Almighty God. And the moment that he did, everything instantly changed for him, certainly changed for him where eternity is concerned. But where the fulfillment of this promise is concerned, where this freedom is concerned, that was going to take a while. In fact, look at verse 13. Genesis chapter 15, look at verse 13. And then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them. And they will afflict them for 400 years. So God's already in the covenant that he is making declaring to Abraham there's going to be some bumps in the road. There's going to be some hurdles that you're going to have to get over. One of them, a big hurdle, is that you're actually going to be strangers in a land that isn't yours. Parentheses, Egypt. 
And you're going to be afflicted with slavery there for four centuries. Verse 14, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. So the Lord's saying, I got it all under control. You don't worry about a thing. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of this in the end. I will judge them. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So you're going to come out of this better than you went into it, Abraham. So don't lose heart in the process that ultimately sets you free. You'll come out with great possessions. Verse 15, now as for you, you'll go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. There's this battle, in other words. There's this waging warfare that continues even to this day. Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 6, that we're to put on this armor of God, that the enemy that was defeated on the cross is still, and here likened to the Amorites, not yet a completed work where he has been deposed of and thrown into the pit, into the lake of fire that never burns out, will burn for all eternity. And so he's wanting to describe some things to Abraham that there is this promise But along with this promise, just want you to be clear in coming out to church tonight, along with the promise comes a process because I can't tell you over the 20 some odd years I've been pastoring, a number of Christians that I've known who have lost heart in the midst of the process. They're like, where's this promise? In fact, Abraham is one such guy who ends up in hearing exactly as God would declare to him, he loses heart. He loses his fixation on the promises of the word of God. He loses sight of it all in the process. And I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to your family. And I know that we're in a sifting process right now. We're in a pruning process right now. We're in a process where God is up to something huge where our nation is concerned, and I wonder and I pray that it would be a process that would lead us to repentance. He's explaining to Abraham, here's my promise, Abe. But he's also explaining to Abraham, here's the process that you're going to have to endure and live through in order to see the promise come to fruition. And part of that process would be now prophetically as God would declare to Abraham 400 years of slavery, it would involve a deliverer by the name of Joseph. A deliverer actually who would be thrown into a pit, who would be thrown into slavery. He served as a slave in the home of Potiphar, but served as a slave in the home of Potiphar to ultimately rise to a position of bringing freedom for all the people. If he would have lost sight of that process, there would have been no fulfillment of the promise. In fact, as we all know wonderfully the story of Joseph, he gets thrown into prison after he has been thrown into slavery, after he was thrown into a pit by his brothers. In fact, thrown into prison for something that he didn't even do involving Potiphar's wife. I know the kids are here, so I'll leave the rest to you. He's forgotten about in prison. But if he would have forgotten the dream, if he would have forgotten the promise, then the promise never would have been fulfilled. And on one particular occasion when Pharaoh needed some help interpreting a dream, they remember this old chap that they met in prison. This guy 
is incredible at interpreting dreams. And Joseph is brought up out of the pit of slavery in order to set the people free. He's brought up out of the dungeon to become a deliverer. In fact, it's amazing. Let me show you something. Turn, if you're in Genesis there, turn up to chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48 is now where Jacob begins to pronounce his promises of blessings upon his kids. And you got to remember, his favorite, really, of all of them was Joseph. His favorite, clearly, was the son that he gave this coat of many colors to, the son that the other brothers were jealous of, the son that they went back and lied to dad about and said, oh, I don't know, man, something horrible happened. The wild animals got him. See, here's the coat that you gave him. It's all bloody. And this one that Jacob loved the most isn't dead at all, nor is the promise dead that God gave to Joseph that this freedom, although it's a process, ultimately and finally would be fulfilled and realized to the glory of his name. And Jacob is thinking back now at that wonderfully glorious day when he met not only the son that he thought had been dead for years, for decades he thought he was dead, not only does he get reunited with his favorite son, Joseph, he gets to meet Joseph's sons. He gets to meet the lineage of the family. He gets to meet the next generation. And so as he's handing out all the blessings, as was so customary and appropriate for the patriarch to do back in the Old Testament, he gets to Joseph in Genesis chapter 48. You got it? Say, got it? You got it? Look at this. Look at verse 21. Then Israel, remember that's what Jacob's name was changed to because now he's got a new governor. He's governed by God. That's what Israel means. Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am dying. But God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, look at this verse. (laughs) Look at this, you guys. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers. So everybody got a portion. Joseph got two. One portion above your brothers. A double portion. A double blessing. It was almost as if Jacob is now placing his favorite son, Joseph, in the spot of the firstborn, which he actually was, where the two sons born of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, Joseph being the oldest, but he wasn't the oldest of all the sons, for Reuben had been born long before by Leah. And here, Jacob moves him to the front and gives him the double portion of blessing that typically is reserved for the firstborn. He gets one portion above the brothers, which I took, look at this. Remember back in Genesis chapter 15 where God meets with Abram and he's like, here's my promise. In fact, if you want to read later, and you can, Pastor Roger does a great job of putting together some question and answers and some further discussions. If you want to read further into Genesis chapter 15, Abram's like so blown away by the promise of God that God ultimately takes him outside the tent 
and says to him in Genesis chapter 15, just look up at the stars. Look up at the stars tonight. Try and number them because your descendants will outnumber the stars. That's the faithfulness of God's promise. But in order to see that promise come to fruition, there's going to be a process a process to which God declares to Abram in Genesis chapter 15 in the midst of taking him outside the tent to show him all the stars. He's like, oh yeah, by the way, there's these Amorites and they haven't completely been dealt with. Look at this verse in Genesis 48. Look at verse 22. I'm giving you double portion above your brothers, a portion that I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Exactly when and where Jacob went to war over some piece of land, a plot of property that was still being owned and claimed as enemy territory, and he, he, he took that from the Amorite in the warfare that was being won and raged in the process of seeing the promise come to fruition. But this is what just is absolutely amazing. In verse 22 there, you see that word portion? If you have a good study Bible, there's probably a little number next to it. Maybe a little italics. Or something that would draw your attention to the margin where you would learn that the word for portion in verse 22 is actually the word, anyone? What is it? What is it? Do you have it? Shoulder. It's the word shoulder. So what God's really saying to Joseph is this. I'm giving you both shoulders. I got one not-so-good one and one really bad one. But I'm pretty glad I still have two of them. And God says to Jacob, I'm giving you both shoulders. Talk about a picture of being able to lean on the promises of God. A shoulder that has actually burdened your sin as it carried the cross to Calvary. He gives him the shoulder. You know what the word shoulder is in Hebrew? You're about to learn it. It's the word Shechem. Everyone say it. Say Shechem. Shechem is a very famous place. Shechem was a city. It was actually the first capital of Israel. And this is the promise that Jacob gives to Joseph. I'm giving you the shoulder. I'm giving you a double portion. I'm giving you Shechem. Shechem, incidentally, was not only the first capital of Israel. Some of you, you're, you're, you're with me. You're tracking. You know where I'm going with this because ultimately this celebration of communion on the 4th of July for you and me tonight is proclaiming Jesus Christ to be our capital. For Jesus Christ to be our shoulder. For Jesus Christ to be our double portion. Shechem not only was the first capital of Israel, Shechem also was a city of refuge. A city of refuge. There's some further study for you if you're at all interested. There were six cities of refuge. And if you got yourself in a pickle, if you got yourself in trouble, all you would need to do is make a mad dash to one of the cities of refuge and you would be free. Freedom. Liberty, you would be safe in the city of refuge. Shechem was one of those cities. It was not only a place, but it was also a person. It was a person. This is where I totally begin to geek out. 
It points to a person, you guys. Do you all know that famous Christmas verse that we love from Isaiah chapter 9? For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the government, come on, will be on his on his shoulders, on his Shechem. But he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. In other words, his shoulders are big enough. He's wonderful, he's counselor, he's mighty God, he's everlasting father, he's prince of peace, and of his government, there will be no end. Church, tonight on the 4th, don't be leaning on the shoulders of human government. Don't be trusting in your business or in Congress or in the United States Supreme Court. Be trusting your life, leaning on the everlasting arms of the shoulders of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you remember um, when Noah really messed up? Do you remember the night that Noah got wasted? It's actually in the Bible. He gets seriously drunk, and his son Ham really hams it up. He, he just annihilates his dad. He just, like, makes fun of him and, 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 and dishonors him and takes full advantage of the momentary state of weakness and sin that Noah has found himself in. But the other two sons, the reason I'm mentioning this to you is because it's the first usage of the word Shechem. And any time in Scripture where you find the first usage of a term, it is going to give you an insight as to what that term is meant to be and the, and, 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 and the role that it's going to play throughout the rest of the duration of Scriptures. Because you have the two other sons, Shem and Japheth, and you know what they do? What do they do? They pick up dad's cloak and they put it over their shoulders. They rest his cloak on their Shechem, on their shoulders, and they walk in backwards. And from their shoulders, from their Shechem, they cover up his shame. They set him free from the dishonoring state and position that he was in. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did for me. That's what he's done for you. That's what he's done for all of us in declaring for us what Joseph was raised up to declare over his people. Joseph himself is personally set free to then personally set a nation free. And not only to set a nation free, but to set generations free following. Let me wrap up with the fact that it's not just a place this word Shechem that is shoulders. It's not just a place and it's not just pointing to a person, but it's also giving to us once again this promise. This promise that we can't lose sight of, church. This promise that we continue to hold dear regardless of the circumstance or situation that you might find yourself surrounded with. A promise that continues to reap dividends for all that will come and drink of its well. In fact, turn to John chapter four with me as we wrap up. John chapter 4, and if you're watching from home, this would be a great time for you to find some elements to celebrate communion with us. Grab some bread, some grape juice, 
some Ritz crackers, some a little bit of wine if you have cooking wine or a box of wine, doesn't matter. John chapter 4, let me just wrap it up with a very familiar passage that you all know, but I want you to see as it starts that Jesus breaks the racial barriers in John chapter 4. It says in verse 4, he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to because no one else was willing to. He stepped into enemy territory. He broke down the racial barriers, and he came specifically to meet with a woman at a well. Look at verse 5. And he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Sychar is the Greek version of the city of Shechem. The city that was given to Joseph. Want me to prove it? Keep reading the verse. Look what it says. Sychar, which is near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now you know where that happened in Genesis chapter 48. The double portion was the blessing of giving to him the shoulder. Shechem, a city, a city of refuge, the first capital of Israel. But also a place that points to a person the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who bare all of our sin on his shoulder when he carried that cross and then allowed himself to be nailed to it. But here's this amazing promise as Jesus shows up, this woman right around the noon hour comes and Jesus says in verse seven, give me a drink. Breaking again all the racial barriers. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, and, and this woman of Samaria says to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Jesus, pretty much in the story, says, enough with this. Enough with this. He says to her, if you only knew the gift of God, if you knew who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given to you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with. This is the well, and the well typically would be found in the valley. Why not in the valley? It's less ground for you to dig in order to get to the fresh source. In this valley, this woman is about to experience her victory as she drinks from the well of freedom, from the water that he has come to provide. She's like, you don't even have anything to draw this well and this water with. Where then are you going to get this living water? You greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, a well that his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will definitely thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. Never thirst. Church, this is what he offers to us this evening, and he offers it to her, and she takes it. Look at verse 28. The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city. Is that not the greatest part of the story? Have you ever caught that before? She leaves her pitcher because she found everything that she needed in Jesus Christ, and he set her free. Hey, if you're not free tonight, whose fault is it? Because he's done absolutely everything he possibly could do, even giving his own life to set you free. 
Let's celebrate that together as we celebrate communion. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you for this little contraption that contains the bread and contains the cup. And as Dennis comes out and as we partake, these are the elements that point to our true freedom, knowing that regardless of what we might currently be faced with, our future is forever secure. True freedom. No longer living in the bondage of sin. That's the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. It, it, it breaks patterns and it severs chains and it shifts us, even it, as it does this woman at the well, it shifts us from religion into a personal relationship. She didn't go back to her town and resort to her old habits. She didn't simply just say she was sorry and, and mope in remorse. She repented. And she received all of the freedom that Jesus Christ came to provide. She left her water pot behind and discovered everything that she'd been searching for her whole life. She was found. Are you? She was found. She was forgiven. She was filled and she was free. She made Jesus her capital. She made Jesus her city of refuge. She made him her well of freedom, and she drank and never thirsted again. Lord, may that be the case, even as we partake this evening. For we do it in the faith of knowing that your word never returns void, and you're a God who keeps his promise. We praise you, and thank you for the freedom that you've come to provide for us on the 4th of July. We receive it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining the Horizon Church Podcast with Pastor Bob. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org live every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.